in three, two, one. John, are we live? We're live, sir. It's me and you in studio today. I know, just the two of us. Feels weird not having people here. I mean, the people who are watching us can't see inside the studio. Correct. But for those of you who are watching us right now, we have a bunch of chairs in here. We have chairs for, you know, if our guests bring some audience members. Mm -hmm. And it's totally empty today because John I and I are doing our quarterly Mo and John show where you can ask us anything, which, by the way, is a dangerous thing to do, I found out, because my friends have been teasing me about the ask us anything um, Anything within, you, reason. Yeah, anything, anything within, within reason. Anything within reason. Basically, since you put it up, um, they've been teasing me. Um, <laughs> but we like doing this. We like recapping kind of how the show's going. We're getting close to about a year since uh, Wheelhouse has launched. Mm -hmm. um, and then some people wrote in some questions already that we'll, uh, we'll touch on. Good deal. But uh, before we get started, anything from you? Shout outs? Uh, you know, when we were preparing for the show, I didn't really put together a list of shout outs because... We're it's going to be you and me talking the whole time. Cool. We usually do that good. prior, but. Uh, good, because I don't have one. So. <laughs> so really, all I have to do is come up with something super silly, and I'll still out-shout out you. A hundred percent. Oh, you know, I do have to throw one out to Maggie, and I know that I brag on her quite a bit, but uh, she was given, I don't have all the details, but uh, she was awarded a, uh, it's called a presidential award at work yesterday. She's, she's down in Dallas, and she sent me a, a picture, and they they did a bunch of stuff, and it, it's really cool, and she's very excited about it. So she works really, really hard, and, and it's nice to see a big company like that appreciates their um, employees as much as the employees appreciate and, and put into the company. So way to go, baby. It's Congrats. Uh, that's very, very cool, and I can imagine they're very, very lucky to have her just knowing her through you. And uh, for the last year, right. I imagine she's incredible at what she does. And uh, She does. She, she works hard, and she takes uh, – she, she has tremendous co-workers that she really enjoys being uh, around, whether it's at headquarters. She's, she's gotten made some really great friends, but uh, everybody that she's working with are dedicated uh, people. But she talks endlessly about how well Southwest treats her and feels it uh, you know, only right to give back as much as she does. And that's the way things are supposed to be, you know? Maybe you'll get that cool trip to Hawaii because they're doing those cool, like uh, they did that promo and it blew up on Yo, social media. Yeah, it was like for 49 sure. bucks to Hawaii. I mean, yeah, yeah. not from Chicago, but, no, but still crazy to absolutely. think you can fly to Hawaii for 49 bucks. I concur. I concur. Um, and then if you check, I think, uh, I know Tim in my office is a big Hawaii fan. Mm. And actually, shout out to Tim. I give him a shout out his and his beautiful wife, Victoria, who uh, they're expecting their kid in the next within the next month here, uh, early April. But uh, Tim goes to Hawaii almost every year, and he's like, that's the only place he goes. He just loves going to Hawaii. Really? But he goes on Costco always and finds really cool deals. Hmm. Um, and apparently two or three times a year, Costco runs these ridiculous 7, 14, and like, or 7, 10, and 14-day trips. Right. So if you can get the hotels at a great price, yeah. and then now Southwest is flying there at a great price, yeah. Hawaii becomes somewhat affordable for most people who... Most of the time, I think yeah. Hawaii is pretty expensive. Oh, absolutely. I, I looked um, just out of curiosity. I saw the $49 thing, and you're right. It blew up. And so by time, I was just putting in different dates and time schedules and stuff, um, just out of curiosity. And uh, even with those being sold out, the the price points from Oakland out to, to Hawaii, to Honolulu, they really weren't terrible round trip. I mean, it's it's not... You know, forty nine dollars each way. It was, uh, I think, and don't quote me, but I was doing like midweek, you know, early morning stuff, and you were able to do round trip, I don't know, like three hundred from, from California. No, it's really not. So if you can get yourself out to California and then jump from there, you know, I'm sure I, trips out to Oakland aren't cost that costly. I can't imagine them being. I can't imagine them being too expensive. It's not necessarily a tourist hotbed. Yeah, not a whole list of people trying to jump and run to uh, <laughs> Oakland, California. But I've never been, so I think uh, that might be a trip I have to take now. Well, you're going to San uh, Francisco soon, yeah? Yeah, San Francisco in June for the triathlon. Yeah. Which so it's uh, is coming up. Right across, the, right across the bay? Yeah. So I don't know. Although we have Wheelhouse, so I can't be gone for, you know, this is two, true. three weeks at a time. The so internet would shut down without us. It's tough. What would I do if uh, Wheelhouse was not? I don't know. Um, should we ask, should we get into some of the questions we have? And I think the first one might be good for us to touch on because it talks about how to start a podcast. Mm. Um, somebody said, hey, mm. I see you guys are doing Wheelhouse. 
how did you get started? And I think it might be a good question or something to touch on because I think we're getting to a era where a lot of people want to start podcasts. People yeah. are listening to podcasts. I was talking to a friend of mine a few weeks ago who said, I don't even watch TV anymore. I listen to podcasts or I right. watch the um, the live footage of podcasts. So like, well, for those of you that don't know, we call Wheelhouse a netcast because the way it started off was we're on the net and we have video. So mm -hmm. podcasts typically are just audio. Just audio, yeah. But we have a live show. If you're watching, you obviously get to see the live show. <laughs> if you're listening and you're not watching us, while we're doing this, our show is actually airing live on the Facebook and then we take the video portion and we share it on the YouTube as well. So mm -hmm. Joe Rogan does that. Yeah. You know, Joe Rogan has footage of his actual, although he doesn't run it live. He airs it and then he puts the footage out. I right. don't believe he runs it live. I don't know. Ariel Hawani runs his show live, okay. um, his MMA show on ESPN now. So that, that's an, a version of a netcast per se. So I guess we can touch on both the net and the podcast. Sure. Um, sure, sure, sure. Should we touch on both of those? Sure, why not? Um, yeah, we started what? Last year, April-ish? April, yeah. We did a few shows uh, just to get our rhythm. We yeah. did some pre-recorded stuff. And uh, yeah, we kicked off our first actual live was uh, April 11th. And I think one of the things that we learned early on, for those of you watching who want to do this, is so I, I, you're seeing John and I, but we have we rented studio space. So mm -hmm. it's a small studio, but it's enough to be able to house a table, you know, we can put, you know, six chairs around this table, mm -hmm. enough space to be able to have our cameras far enough away so it doesn't look like they're right on top of us. <laughs> right. Um, you know, and we just ran with it and I kudos to John for that because I was on WGN's Market Overdrive and uh love the idea of doing a show, mm -hmm. but um, you know, wanted to do something more towards entrepreneurs and I, sp I spoke to John who is really good in the video world editing and video marketing and he said, "Let's do this." So we just started buying stuff. Pretty um, much, yeah. Yeah, we got this table, we got some chairs, um, and then we got iPod touches. So the, they were yeah. like the, the little original guys. iPods, but like the kind of the big ones. Yep. And we ran our first show like that and realized that they don't focus well when you're trying to shoot um, a live show. So mm -hmm. they kept focusing in and focusing out. I don't think we ever aired that show even because it was kind of distorted. You know, I, I'd have to look back. I don't remember. I know that we have... On YouTube, we have uh, all of our all of our live stuff is up on YouTube. Okay, with varying degrees of good production. I mean, yeah. we, we went through a, a couple week stretch um, where we had some audio problems, and we had one or two uh, situations where we had some video. But as far as like the iPod touches, that had nothing to do with us or the studio or the internet with what we just went through last month or two months ago. Uh, but yeah, it was just it, it just wasn't good. Any any kind of movement, it was real glitchy and so on and so forth. So we really upgraded quite a bit to, to what we have now. Yeah, and it's a lesson in learning how to run a business, right? Yeah. So we started. We uh, like a lot of our guests have said, you know, you just have to start. Some people just don't start. We yeah. started. We had some glitches. Now these iPad, they're uh, iPads that run in four K yeah. are pretty good. I mean, I'm not the video guy behind all the. Uh, the tech stuff but John is and you've been pretty happy with these uh iPads. I do. I think they I think they bring good quality. Uh they they show depth. They they you know, not that we have a ton of color, but even like the flags behind me, they really they make stuff pop. I know you still don't have anything behind you, but eventually we'll get there. We'll we'll figure something out. They they run in four K, which is nice. Yeah. And they stream and John uses um a switcher board um mm -hmm. and switcher studio to kind of air it out to you guys. So we've kind of learned, like we said, by trial, trial and error a little yeah. bit. And um, I think we have grown and I think both of us have become more comfortable on air, even though both of us had been on yeah. different sorts of shows and video things in the past. I think you just have to do it. I was talking to one of our agents uh, a couple months ago about videos and uh, she said, well, I'm nervous to be on video. I said, everybody, when they first start, is nervous to be on video. But the more you do it, the more natural you become. I've learned that I'm better at interacting with our guests after a while. Mm -hmm. And it just took a while to become comfortable. Sure. Um, obviously, if you're going to start questioning people, uh, prepare yourself a little bit. You don't ever want to be scripted. Um, but I just do a little bit of research into our guests, figure out what they do, uh, what they've done. Yeah. Uh, John sends out a really cool questionnaire to our guests, um, which is really nice just to get to know them. And um, we just get them in studio a little bit beforehand. We chat with them. We get yeah. to know them. And we let the conversation go very organically. So we've been very lucky to have 
incredible guests mm -hmm. that have given us great content. Um, most of them have always showed up. You know, we <laughs> had a couple people bail at the last minute, but you improvise like anything else in business or right. uh, anything else you do. You just kind of have to improvise. I think over time we went from being just on Facebook mm -hmm. to being on Facebook. And then now we're on Instagram a lot too. So check us out at AE Wheelhouse. Yep. And then uh, John got us on iTunes, on Spotify, on Stitcher, on YouTube and on Google Play. Very good. And we're trying to get onto iHeartRadio, but that seems to take a long, long, a time. long time. Absolutely. We also have uh, a Twitter page. Yep. Um, and a LinkedIn professional page. And we also have a website now at aewheelhouse.com. Uh, right. So we what we've done basically in the last year is we've taken this idea and we've kind of run with it. And I think if you're going to run a podcast or a netcast, you just have to start. I would recommend get good equipment because mm -hmm. if you get crappy equipment, you've lost that money and it's really hard to resell that stuff. Correct. So make sure you get the best equipment. If you're gonna run it live like we are in a netcast, I think the iPads work really well in 4K. Uh, we got really good mics. We have good headsets. We're not wearing them today because it's just John and I, but mm -hmm. we have good headsets that are good quality so you can hear the sound well. John's got uh, the switcher uh, board over there. So yep. we spent some money. We have. You can't see it too. We have John's hung a lot of lights in here to make the lighting work well. Uh, like I said, John's got a really good background in uh, in video, so he's able to figure out the lighting in here. But at minimum, get some good equipment so that the sound comes through well, the video comes through well, because the level of professionalism you put forth that will matter. Absolutely. Um, and if you don't get the right stuff at the beginning, you're just going to waste your money anyways. Absolutely. So that's me on a podcast. And just have good content. If you have crappy content, nobody's really going to tune in. Lucky for us, we allow our guests to tell the story of being an entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. I think we've stayed very much um, loyal to the idea of we want to get the story of our guests out. Absolutely. You know, we have to interject our personal experiences sometimes, but you know, it's difficult for me. Mostly, you know, me know it's tough to get me to shut up, um, <laughs> but I'm here to tell their story. Um, and obviously touch on my learning lessons, but you want to be able to give their story out. Absolutely. You know? that's, that's what we wanted to get across is we have a lot of cool guests and their stories are important to us. You know, it's interesting. We've had people come in who, um, are, have been on camera before and are very comfortable being on camera. And we've had some that, even especially when we first started this, one of the things that uh, I can say is that when I was starting to reach out to people and you, you were introducing me to some of the people that you know and we were having you know conference calls and such, um, people would ask, well, what are we going to talk about? And da-da-da-da-da. And you know, uh, is it pay to play? So in other words, all the guests, you know, at least at, at first we're asking, you know, so is this like a paid appearance? Do I have to pay because I'm kind of talking, we're talking about my business, so on and so forth. And we said, no, absolutely not. That was one of the first things you and I just uh, decided upon and agreed upon of many different things, but uh, just that we didn't want it to be, we didn't want to have somebody not be able to tell their story because they didn't have the finances to pay to tell right. their story. You know, we've had on some incredible guests, as you've made mention, of some bigger, successful companies um, that they've started and, and worked and worked. And we've had media personalities and so on and so forth who might be able to bankroll something. Um, but we've had some smaller company uh, CEOs come on, people Startups. that are just starting out, right? And we didn't want to put a price tag. We want people to come in, feel comfortable. When we send out the questionnaire, it's always uh, the way it's phrased is more or less this is more or less going to be the line of questioning. So that way the guest feels comfortable. They know what's coming at them. We're not ambushing them with anything. Right. Um, and we're able to get a little feedback, get you know their social media handles and all of that so I can put the, package, the graphics packages together. But it really does, uh, for from the, from the get-go, the reaching out to people all the way through to us going live, when people get here, Mo will talk with them and kind of loosen them up and, and make them feel comfortable in the studio while I'm doing the technical stuff. And then by the time we hit the airways or the oh, net waves, uh, yeah, they're usually they're pretty, if they're nervous walking in, they're usually pretty comfortable. And, uh, you know, there's been a couple people that are still, even when we go 3-2-1 live, uh, they're still a little shaky, but usually a few minutes in, I mean, you start chit-chatting with them and, and making them feel comfortable and talking about stuff that's in their wheelhouse uh you know they'll loosen up pretty quick and thank goodness for that because we've gotten like you said some great content out of it yeah i think as long as you they're telling their story you're not asking them anything 
that is coming out of left field like crazy, right. I think they're going to be pretty comfortable. And I think um, we know our audience. Our audience wants to learn from them. So sure. we just we throw them questions that are going to allow them to speak about their experiences. Exactly. I always tell people, like, if you're going to get up in front of anybody and speak about anything, forget being on a netcast or a podcast, mm -hmm. as long as you know your material, you're fine. So if you're talking about yourself, you know, if you're going to be on a show, just be comfortable, be you. You know, if uh, I tell our agents all the time when they're brand new, <clears throat> they're really nervous about talking about real estate. And I'm like, it's because you just don't know it well enough yet. Right. What's your hobby? I always ask them. And some, someone will say, well, it's gymnastics. I'm like, if I asked you to have a conversation about gymnastics with somebody, would you be comfortable? Oh yeah, I could talk about gymnastics. There you go, because you know the material. Right. And a lot of times I think our guests are comfortable because they're just talking about themselves just and they realize like, and one thing that we do here, and if you're doing a netcast, I, I think is really a good idea. And this was, uh, John's idea at the beginning was make it a, um, make it more like a round table discussion. So obviously sometimes we have one guest, sometimes we have two guests. Rarely have we had more than two, we've had three before, but typically one or two. Um, but when it's two, I'll talk to one guest for you know, 15, 20 minutes, talk to another guest for 15, 20 minutes, and then we just have a conversation with everybody sitting around. It's almost like a talk show. John's idea at the beginning was to have it be more like a talk show where you know, if you go on like the Jay Leno show, one person talks for a while, another person talks. And then by the time the second person's almost done talking about their topic, they're all just kind of chatting together. Right. And it makes the atmosphere feel like just people sitting around and you forget a little bit that the cameras are here. Exactly. Sometimes they totally forget and then they're out of screen or in screen. <laughs> and John writes me notes from the corner. Yeah, tell them to sit move up. Move this or move that. <laughs> we try to do that without interrupting, right. obviously, our lives. Yeah, stream. yeah. It's, uh, it's cool because the people that we have come in um, are, have the entrepreneurial spirit. They, yeah. you know, they come from all walks of life, go off in different directions. And, but at the heart of it is it's an entrepreneurial show. So when guest one is speaking, I'll use last week as an example. We had Christy Ross and Eric Bayless on the show and Christy Ross was guest one and you were having a great conversation with her. And I saw Eric on his phone. Um, and we ask people to make sure that their phones are turned down and everything and so on and so forth. But he was, he was on his phone, not talking, but just typing away. And I thought maybe he was texting or telling, I don't know, whatever I thought. Anyways, uh, when the conversation with Christy got done with you and she, uh, you, you pivoted over to Eric. And one of the first things that he said was to Christy, he said, listen, I didn't want you to think I was being rude, but things you were saying Really, I wanted to remember them because it was the, yep. the, there were such good points you were making. I was actually taking notes on my phone, and I could see it. Yeah, you probably could. I from could. Your I was point. like, man, oh man. Uh, so from my vantage point, I could see because where I'm sitting, I'm at the table where they're sitting. So right, I right. always have one person to my left, one person to my right, and then left, <laughs> my right to left mixed up. But I could see he was taking notes. Yeah, uh, which is kind of cool. She would say something, and he was on his notepad yeah. taking notes. Yeah, he was uh, so. A lot of times, two people that'll come in here, both entrepreneurs in spirit or at the heart of it, but they won't necessarily know each other. But by the end or not even the end of the show, halfway through the show, they'll be talking back and forth and you'll just be not sitting there, just you know, sitting there. But more or less, the show will sometimes carry itself because you've got two people who work hard that are just meeting and, and bouncing off each other. That That's the sign of a good show right there, I think at least. And we've been good connectors of people. I mean, shout out to us for, uh, we've yep. connected a lot of entrepreneurs that have come on the show with one another who can benefit from one another's businesses sure. and then help each other kind of uh, meet people and connect with other people that might help one another. So Absolutely. what's been really cool about Chicago is we've realized that it's a obviously a big city, but it's a small, big city where all entrepreneurs seem to want to help one another out. Mm -hmm. It's not the, hey, all the business is mine, get the hell away from me. Right. It's been a very um, giving environment of entrepreneurs and influencers and and you know uh, media personalities and even politicians sure. you know, who, who've come on. So it's been a very giving city, which is very cool to see. Absolutely. So, um, so yeah, so good, just do it is what I would say as simple as that sounds, just go out and do the podcast. It's cool. Uh, obviously it takes a lot of time to build an audience. You know, there's days where we have a ton of people watching days where we have less, but we just keep putting out content knowing that as time goes on, our, uh, viewership and our audience will continue to grow.
Yep. Um, so questions that also got asked. Somebody said favorite podcast. I know you and I both are big Rogan fans. Yeah. I'm a big MMA guy, but from that I watch. From Rogan, I end up watching um, Blow the Belt with Brendan Schaub. I watch Ariel Hawani's MMA show. And then from there, a lot of times, you know, I watch it on YouTube on my um, Apple TV at home. Mm -hmm. So I'll just watch my TV. Mm -hmm. I'll watch something with Rogan. And then from there, I might go to Mike Tyson's, you know, new podcast and yeah. watch some stuff about Tyson. And then I'll go see Chael's. And then I jump around a lot yeah. in that stuff. Yeah. You know, I like Jocko too. I think, you mm -hmm. know, we're going to get to favorite books in a second. Yeah. Uh, I love listening to Jocko, um, but I Rogan I listen to probably more than anybody. I would say probably me as well. I like the fact I like what he does with the JRE clips. Yep. Um, and I'll find myself because it'll go anywhere. His clips go anywhere from three minutes up to maybe 10, 11 minutes. Yeah. And uh, they'll connect in a way where it might not be the same person, like the next up might not be the same person, but it might be along the same lines. Topics. Yeah, yeah exactly. Cool topics. Um, so a lot of times, because he does, he does two and a half, three hour shows sometimes. Yeah. And very rarely do I have that amount of time that I can dedicate to it. But being able to pick up, you know, a, a six and then an eight and then a 10 minute. And if I do want to like go back and watch, you know, uh, a full one, it's, it's a nice way to kind of like we do on Instagram. We always try and put out a couple of segments from each show so people get a taste. And then yep. we'll, uh, whether it's Facebook or Twitter or whatever, we have the YouTube to the full to the full episode and give people the opportunity to go check it out. It's kind yeah. of along the same lines of what Rogan does. But yeah, yeah that's good. Ch check out our uh, Instagram. We give you just the tip and then you get to sample the rest if you want. <laughs> um, all right. So I had some other questions. So I had an interesting question somebody sent to me on Instagram and said, if you had a kid, would you let them go to law school? Mm. Would, you, would you ask, would you, would you push them to go to law school was the uh. question. First of all, I wouldn't push my kid to do anything, I don't think. I don't have kids, but I don't think I'd push my kids to do anything that they don't want to do. I got out of law school in 2009, but I got in in 2006. And to be honest with everybody, when I was in college, I was pre-med bio and I junior, mid-junior year shifted gears to pre-law political science. So I wasn't even that in love with law, but <laughs> I knew I didn't want to be a doctor. And I think I just thought not doctor, go be a lawyer. So I went into law school. I didn't love the law. When I got out, it was a very different market than 2006 and I opened my firm. I fell in love with gr the business of growing a law firm not so much dealing with attorneys because no offense to most attorneys, most of them are miserable people to deal with on a day-to-day -day basis. But I would tell you, if you want to do anything where it requires you to go to graduate school and spend money, um, make sure you really want to do it. So I, if, if my kids were like, hey, dad, I want to be an attorney, I'd say, okay, great, go do it. Because whatever the market is, you can figure it out and make it work. Right. But I would never push them towards it. Do I think... Law is oversaturated. Yes. So, like, if is 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 if the answer is to go make money, mm. don't go be an attorney. There's a lot of better ways to go make money. Really? Than being an attorney. Yeah. Entry level attorneys, the offers when I got out were thirty five and thirty. My two offers were thirty five and thirty eight thousand bucks. Right. I was making more money personal training, right. and I wasn't sitting behind a computer getting fat. <laughs> but. Even now, sometimes they're forty-five thousand at an entry-level firm. If you don't come from a big one, you just went and got a doctorate's degree. You know, if you, school wasn't paid for, you have one hundred fifty to two hundred thousand dollars student loan debt, True. and you're making less than you know yeah. somebody does, possibly even just working at a bank full yeah. time. So yeah, yeah. you have to really love it to do it. Don't do it for money. Um, the money is not like it's not starting out. It's yeah, not, starting out, and even by the time you get to a even if you get at a big law firm and you're making into the low six figures, a little over a hundred thousand, but you're working 80 hours a week right. and, and being an associate attorney sucks. I don't care how much you love the law. If you're at a big law firm as an associate attorney, your life is miserable. You're reading and writing briefs and stuff. So you have to really like it. So if they liked it, I would do it. Otherwise it's not the profession I tell somebody to go into to become wealthy. What would be? Off the top be, of your head. I know. It's it, be it's, a doctor, I guess. Yeah. I mean, but that's changing too. You know, becoming a doctor, I think, is this is going from some educated knowledge about medicine and the practice of medicine because I've dealt with a lot of doctors. Unless you're going to be a specialist, mm -hmm. 
the money's not big there either. And you're going through, you have to really love that because that is a lifestyle where you are impacting somebody's health. So if you don't love mm -hmm. what you do, mm -hmm. that's a really effed up situation to go into. And also it's four years of medical school and then residency. It's not like you're done and now you're, right. you're a doctor, but you don't get paid like a doctor. So you have a lot of schooling, so you better really love it. Um, but honestly, with the way social media is and how you can get your message across, you can be a business owner in whatever it is you're passionate about. And if you do the right things and you get the right product across, I think you'll do really, really well. Um, you know, real estate's the only license I always say within eight weeks you get licensed and I know a bunch of realtors that make seven figures. They work really hard. They're true big business owners at that point, right. you know, even as a realtor. So that's a profession I would tell people you can go in and make some money. Obviously like the investment bankers and stuff, those guys sure. make money, but you got to go down that track. I would tell you, you got to find some, you don't necessarily have to do exactly what you love. Cause people tell me like, do you do like your biggest passion? I'm like, no, my passion's racing cars. There's no money in it. I found out when I was in my teens in the US, there's no money in racing cars. So I can't do it as a profession. Right. But I do things that I don't hate so that I can go do the things I love. I don't hate, I think if you hate what you do, you're never going to take it. Miserable. You're miserable. Yeah. So do something you love and just work hard at it. Um, but I think there's a lot of ways to make money. But don't go into law just to make money. <laughs> it's not there. Okay. And I think the person who asked me has a kid that is probably in junior high-ish now. Mm -hmm. So it was a good question to ask, but I would say figure out what they want. And most kids going into junior high and, junior high, and high school right now have no freaking idea what they want to be. Right. Well, most. when I was in junior high, I don't, I don't know if I necessarily knew what I wanted to do. I, I, it, it took me until well into adulthood to figure out that I yeah. had a passion for all of this stuff. And even this, what we've been doing for the last year, this was because of emerging technology and my yeah. interest in it, I'm really not a super technical guy. I, but it a lot just, more it, than me. It, it just it's grabbed my attention quite a bit. So, um, yeah, yeah, look at this. Look at what we're doing now. I mean, I people think that I'm very comfortable in front of crowds because I've spoken at events and stuff. If you took me 10 years prior, I was very nervous to get up in front of people and talk. I'll never forget in one of my trial classes, I had to get up to give a, uh, in law, what we call an opening statement. Mm -hmm. And my trial coach grabbed my notes from me. Mm. And I literally almost crapped myself because I was like, whoa. And he goes, do you know the material? And I was like, yes. He goes, then, then give me your opening statement. Right. And I was, my hands were shaking. I was so nervous to get up in front of 15 people to talk. But over time, I've, this is something I enjoy doing. Sure. And a shout out to the Market Overdrive folks. I mean, uh, Carla, Nick, those guys, you know, brought me into Market Overdrive and I, I I like, I enjoy doing that with them. Yeah. And I realized over time, like, I like doing this yeah. stuff. So, yeah, I think if your kid is in junior high, I won't name who asked the question, no. um, figure out what their passion is. And I, they may not know yet, um, but if they love law, go for it. But don't push them there because you think that you might know an attorney or two that are financially doing well. Sure, 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 sure. I didn't make money just by being an attorney. Well, no, I even... Long term, though, you don't want your kids looking back at you thinking, "All right, mom or dad, you know, I hate what I, I I'm stuck now." Yeah, I hate what I do, and the only reason I'm doing it is because you pushed me into it, or along those lines. You don't, you don't want that, you know, for any, any, no, any type of employment, whether it's financially driven or not. You want your kids to kind of go out and do what they want to do and support them as best you can, unless you're spending a gob of money on one, you know, a, a whole bunch of schooling and then they decide to become a surfer or something so, you know yeah. that's tough too i tried to surf in mexico <laughs> yeah <laughs> you better have really good knees and you better be super freaking good at uh balance <laughs> professional surfing is not for you yeah no i uh my knees are beat because of that actually another question we had and then we'll get back in. I had a couple of business questions that popped up, but sure. one of the questions uh, somebody asked me is because I've been posting on Instagram my uh, my workouts almost every night, or yeah. at least a screenshot of how much I've been running. Yep. Um, and somebody said, "What is your diet like when you're dieting?" Mm. Yeah, let's. Do you have it too? So for those of you that don't know, John is also in the fitness challenge I'm doing. So I'm training for a triathlon in June with uh, our, our good buddy of the show, Lawrence Dunning, who motivated me to do it. Mm -hmm. I'm doing the escape from Alcatraz, where I'm swimming from Alcatraz to shore and then doing the rest of the triathlon. So I'm training for that. 
So my running and biking that people are seeing on Instagram, that's that. Mm -hmm. But I have a weight loss challenge that ends at the end of this week for me because it was a sliding scale of when you started to when you're ending. Right. And um, I've been dieting for that. So my diet is the old school Chi Town fitness diet. Shout out to my good buddy, Evan Chai. I wake up in the morning. I do uh, usually four to six egg whites, depending on how hungry I am in the morning. And then I do half an avocado. So that's my breakfast. Okay. I try to have a bottle of water and I try to drink about a gallon of water a day. You've probably seen me grab my water bottle a couple times throughout here. The more water you drink, by the way, the more parched you become when you don't drink water. Um, I just, there are times in my life where I barely drink any water. I'm never thirsty now because I'm drinking a lot of water. If I'm not drinking water, I'm mm-hmm. literally parched. Sure. Um, so I drink a gallon of water a day. Um, then for lunch, typically I want to do either chicken and greens or fish and greens. Right now, I love Moe's in Lincoln Park. Shout out to them too. The name of the restaurant's Moe's. I don't own it. Uh, but I get their sashimi. Mm-hmm. So I do uh, sashimi typically for lunch. And then for dinner, I also do uh, either six to eight ounces of chicken or salmon and greens. Between those, I do do protein shakes. I do like a very clean whey protein. Mm-hmm. And depending on if I'm home or on the run, I either mix it with water or I'll mix it with 2% milk. Mm. And then sometimes I'll put some artificial sweetener in there. And that's all I eat. I'm very, when I'm dieting to lose weight, I'm a lunatic. I'm very crazy about it. So I'll just keep everything kind of the same. Mm -hmm. But my cheat becomes sashimi or sushi really is kind of my cheat. That's cool. Yeah, yeah. Okay. How about you? Um, Something along the same lines as you. Uh, One of the things that this challenge, uh, one of the many good things that I'm getting out of it is I'm not a morning workout person and I'm okay. not a big cardio person and I'm still neither of those really excite me, but, um, Maggie runs a lot treadmill when it's cold outside lakefront when it's nice. And I'm just, I don't know. It bores me, but I have over the last couple of months really taken a, a shine to the elliptical machines. I don't know why I enjoy that more than running, but whatever I do. Um, so I'm usually up around six, somewhere in the quarter to six to six fifteen, And I've gotten myself a few times a week. I, I always sleep with water right next to the bed. I always make sure that that's the first thing I do when I wake up is guzzle maybe half a bottle of water. And then I'll pry myself out of bed before coffee or anything. And this is only a couple times a week, but I'll get downstairs and I'll get on the elliptical and knock out 25, 30 minutes and then come back up and have a cup of coffee and my stomach will say, all right, you've been up for a while. You've been active, you know, it's time to eat. And really it's uh, egg whites. Actually, you turned me on to that. And we started buying, cause I was cracking them and just throwing the yolk away. And we, tr- we found the cartons, yeah. Um, so it's, it's usually broccoli, mushrooms, and uh, red pepper, orange pepper, spinach every once in a while if I'm really crazy. Um, during the day, though, really, I'll just I I'll eat uh, chicken. I'll eat fish. I've been doing just a ton of salads. Uh, I'll open a protein bar, and we buy them. Actually, we buy the Kirkland brand. It's the highest protein, the lowest sugar. It and they're really good. Yeah. Um, but I'll I'll open one in the morning, and I'll allow myself only half throughout the day, and then I'll use that and cut it up like little pieces of cake, and use that as my dessert for dinner with a couple of peanuts or cashews or something. Um, and it's really, it's just, it's, I had some people ask me over the weekend who I hadn't seen for a little while. They're like, you've dropped some weight. Yeah. What are you eating? It's like, I'm just eating whole real actual food. Yeah. Um, not eating out as much. No, no, no pastas. No, uh, I haven't no cheeseburgers, no sausage. I mean, it's all, I touch almost no carbs. Sounds like you're kind of the same other than in greens. Yeah. 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 Um, whether if the car, the only carbs I really get is from fruit. Or, you know, greens. something along those lines. Yeah, uh, greens. Um, but, yeah, other than that, it's it's chicken, it's fish. Once a week, it's a steak um, just to get some red meat thrown in there. And I, then, but, and a sweet potato, like, once a week. I don't think you need, and Evan wrote an article about this years ago, I don't think you need as many carbs as people think when you're even, like, doing like long cardio exercises. I think you have to be really long. You know, like we're talking half marathons, marathons before that sort of carbo loading works. Because some of my runs have gone as long as eight miles. Some of my bikes have gone 20 miles. 
and I'm not carb loading any of these things beforehand. And I don't feel like my energy levels are low at all. I'm eating healthy and my energy mm-hmm. levels are high. But I think, um, I think cutting completely the carbs out and I cut sugar way out. Yeah. Because I like grabbing a pack of Sour Patch Kids or and I like sugary. I have no sweet tooth, but I have like a sugary tooth and then I have obviously a carb tooth. But I cut out carbs, cut out sugar, yeah. drink a lot of water and then just be, I do a lot of cardio and working out. Also, I, I know that you already know this, but uh, probably 15 years ago I started doing this for myself that a lot of people will do the the no drinking in January type thing and for me, being a football fan, it's football playoffs and going into Super Bowl and stuff. So I started doing um, from the end of Super Bowl Sunday night through the beginning of St. Patrick's Day weekend, whenever the parade is or whatever. That's my no drinking. So it's usually about five or six weeks, and it just fell in line with the challenge. So I whoop it up on, on Super Bowl Sunday. I usually take the day after off. Uh, but since then, I haven't, I, you know, and there's – an amazing amount of calories and sugar and stuff and booze and you know i like having a couple beers or whatever but i don't know i I enjoy i enjoy the energy that comes with not drinking anything at all i've been drinking yeah yeah i've been going out a little bit a little bit less i mean i did mexico but i've been drinking a little bit i just know that if i drink Mm -hmm. prior to going out i'm either doubling my workout the day before or the next day right where typically I wouldn't drink, I wouldn't work out after I drink, I'm forcing a workout. Like, I'm like, I have to, it doesn't matter. If I drink, it's not, that's bad enough, but it's not going to stop me then from also missing a workout. So that's how I kind of, right, right, right. Minus Mexico. So those of you in a challenge with me, if you lose to me and I went to Mexico and ate all those tacos and drank all that tequila (laughs) and drank all that beer, well, yeah, shame on you. I can say I'm, I'm looking forward to, uh, a week from Friday, so nine nine days from now, I will have done my way in, and we'll be uh, back to real life. And we're going out. We're going down to Dallas for a day, and then we're going out to see our friends out in Arizona for the St. Patrick's Day weekend and doing a spring training game. And so beverages will be back to flowing, and St. Patrick's Day will be enjoyed this year for well, sure. Well, I'll be done, and I have a challenge. You can enter it if you want. This is not a money challenge, and I'm going to start it on Monday. I texted a few people. I said, we're going to do 250 push-ups a day, 250 sit-ups a day for 30 days. Take a pre-picture, take a post-picture, and it's not going to be it's not gonna be for any money, but uh, we're going to try to keep ourselves, each other honest in a uh, group yep. chat. And uh, even though I'm training for the triathlon, so I'll eat a little bit more liberally come Monday. Yeah. Um, I will be starting that challenge. 30 days, 250 push-ups. You don't have to do them in a row. Almost nobody listening can do 250 right. push-ups in a row. Right. Um, but throughout a day, you have to do 250 push-ups. And then throughout a day, you have to do 250 sit-ups or crunches. And then you repeat the next day. Who was it? Uh, One of our guests' dads yeah. did 500 push-ups a day. Uh, Ryan? Ryan. Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He said big... his dad does 500 push-ups I thought it was a 1,000. Maybe it was a thousand. Anyways, it was as a lot. It was extraordinary. Yeah, but I'm gonna do two fifty. I can't do a thousand. No, arms fall off. Yeah, I mean, I yeah, two fifty. Yeah. So when are, when are you starting? Start Monday. Sunday I weigh out, and then Monday I'm gonna start. Okay. All right. So, um, I'm starting on Monday, so my man, well, my I'm man gonna, boobs will get bigger. <laughs> I will. Uh, I'll partake in that, but I'll push it back a week because I'm not gonna be doing it when I'm out in. I know myself out in Arizona. I know I yeah. won't be doing that, but cool. yeah. Yeah, when I get back into town, I'll start, uh, I'll jump on board. Another good question that popped up, um, somebody sent it to me on an Instagram to discuss how to fund a business if you're looking for funding. It's a really good question because when people want to start a business, there's um, the biggest concern is typically either looking, being looked upon poorly when you fail, which I think you just have to get over that. And I think, you know, there's that quote about the man in the arena. It goes for business too. If somebody's not actually a business owner and hasn't tried um, and they view you a certain way because you failed at your business, F them, who cares? And anybody else who's actually been in a business, if they see you fail, they're not going to think anything negative of what you're doing. They're going to think proudly of the fact that you attempted it. So Mm -hmm. set that aside. The second biggest concern is always money. I might lose all this money and I need it for family or I might lose this money and I worked really hard to get it. Yes, that's definitely a risk. So if you need funding outside of your own personal dollars, I've opened businesses where I've needed funding and I've opened businesses where I've just self-funded it. Mm-hmm. 
if you need funding, you know, like a tech startup is a good example of this, or, you know, somebody asked kind of in the realm of restaurants, I think you have to be able to prove very clearly and concisely what value the investor is getting. You have to set the terms out really accurately. So if, if you're in a tech startup, essentially, you have a note. The, the right way to do it is typically a convertible note. There's different types of notes, but you're laying out what does this person's money get them. And then you have to usually have a deck of some sort that you show them. It's almost like a sponsor deck. You, know, you have to show them exactly what your plan is. Mm -hmm. Why did you start doing what you're doing? Why are you the right person for what you're doing? What does the plans look like? And what, have you, what are they investing in? And typically they're investing in two things. You and an idea. You know, so you have to make sure that the you part, you explain to them that you are a value, you know what you're doing, that you're not going to quit. Typically, they're going to be a little bit scared if you're working five, six, seven jobs. And it might be a thing where you do have another job. You just have to make sure you prove to them that even though you have another job, this will also be a full-time job. You know, it's, a, it's not going to get part-time effort right. when you're asking them for 25, 50, 100, 200,000, however much money. So... If you're asking for funding from somebody, you have to really overprove your idea and overprove yourself and then give them terms that respect the risk they're taking. You know, you can't go to them and be like, hey, yeah, I'd like uh, $200,000 and it's going to be a 30-year fixed rate, just like a house that you have <laughs> equity in. That's not going to work. Right. You know, they're going to they're gonna know that they're risking something. Mm -hmm. You know, think about the Shark Tank guys. You know, mm -hmm. when, I, when, when this question came to me, I thought quickly about Shark Tank. I said, think about if you've ever watched Shark Tank, watch the four or five of them, however many are up there that, at a time, depending on the show, mm. their analysis of the risk and do I have enough equity in this mm -hmm. to take this risk? Mm -hmm. Am I going to have to be the person that's going to have to spend time? Are you the right person for this job? Are you the right person for a partnership? Right. You got to start to be able to prove the things that the people who walk in a Shark Tank have to prove mm -hmm. because essentially that's what you're asking for. You're asking for a shark. So, Correct. Um, you're not going to be able to give them rates that you think are so beneficial to you and so aggressive towards them because you need their money and it's risky for them. Yep. So that's one way. Another way is to go get an actual small business loan. You know, you can go to a Chase, you can go to a Wells Fargo, any, any lender. They're going to ask typically for your business plan. You're going to personally guarantee that. Uh, the terms are going to be different. It's going to vary whether you have property attached to it. So sometimes like if you're, um, let's say, buying a uh, commercial condo and you're going to put a dentist office in it, does the, is the real estate a part of what they're lending to? Because then they have some equity in that. So you can either self-fund, you can go get a small business loan, or you can try to find people who are going to give you money as investors in your, uh, in your business. And they're typically going to either look for a large return or a, retur a decent return plus some equity in your company. Sure. Um, but I think steps are, Know your message, know your game plan of what you want to do, and then be able to effectively explain that to somebody. So practice it. When I went to go try to get money for the tech startup, I sat and I practiced my message. And then I condensed my message because you don't want to ramble for hours. Right. They want to know exactly what you're going to do, how you're going to do it, and if something goes wrong, what your game plan is. Mm -hmm. And you got to be able to fire those off sure. uh, very quickly. So that's my advice. I'm definitely not the authority on this, but... You were asked. asked I was asked, yeah. and that's my opinion on it. Um, obviously, if you can self-fund it the best. And a lot of times you go to friends and family and you say, hey, mom, hey, dad, right. just need a little bit of money. <laughs> Help me out. And then I, hopefully they believe in you. I always get uh, a kick. I watch Shark Tank quite a bit. And... Uh, I never, I, I don't know, I, probably within the last year, I really got turned on to it. So there's a whole bunch of seasons that I haven't seen, but CNBC runs them quite a bit. And I always get a kick out of these people that walk in and say, you know, I want $150,000 for 5%. And it, I always think to myself, okay, I haven't been watching this show all that long. And I already know that if you walk in offering 5%, the first thing they're going to say is that I don't have enough equity that I'm going to a take on that risk or B if I put forth all the time and effort because a lot of times when people come into the studio it's having a Mark Cuban or any of them really on sure. on on your on your side that has value in itself 
I just, I never understand that. It's like, why would you, why would you assume that I understand the starting low and trying to meet in the middle thing, but why would you want to insult people who get these offers literally every single day? Yeah. And I think what people have to understand when they watch Shark Tank is there's a couple different types of investors and, and the sharks, they're wealthy enough that they're essentially VC venture capital investors. So you have, you know, a seed investor, somebody who might be investing a little less money mm -hmm. Then you have sometimes the angel investors that are in between a seed and a VC and then you have VC. By the time you get to somebody and you're asking for a lot of money for very little equity. Yep. If that's what you're doing, you're going in and saying, I want 150000 for 5%. You better be able to prove that valuation. Mr. Wonderful is the best at oh, motherfucking yeah. people, yeah. right, for this. Like, prove your valuation to yeah. me. Your valuation's bullshit. Right. So you're going to have to be very good at proving that. You know, when you go to a VC, sometimes it is that. You're getting a crap ton of money for a small percentage. But by that point, you've proven that this is really good a really robust idea. You have a robust team. Right. But when you go in there and you're like, hey, yeah, I think the valuation for my company is, you know, $10 million, but I've sold a thousand bucks. And you don't have a patent. You don't have an invention. You don't have something that has a lot of research and development into it. They're going to laugh you yeah, out. Yeah, they're going to, right. So you got to be able to know your realistic value mm -hmm. and know that, like you said, these people are pitched stuff all the time. All the time. They're way, you know, if they want to take their money and throw it into something risky for a small return, they have a lot of opportunities typically better than yours. Absolutely. And um, yeah, definitely be reasonable with your valuation. When you go to anybody, I mean, the seed investors are smaller investors, but they also, they're not as seasoned mm -hmm. as the VCs and stuff. So they may be even more skeptical of what you do because by the time a VC says, okay, we're going to allow you to come in and pitch us, right. they vetted you a little sure. bit. The seed guys are going to be very skeptical because A, they probably don't have as much money as the VCs. They're not backed by big groups. Right. And their hard-earned money is probably something that they've worked they, really hard they've for. They've literally earned it, yeah. And they're going to be very skeptical of what you do. So sure. you better know what you're doing. You better know your valuation. But I love Shark Tank. I think Shark Tank has single-handedly made people a lot more um, entrepreneur-minded by just watching yep. that show and thinking. I wa And I wish, this is one of the coolest things I ever watched on um, when I was a kid. It was 60, 60 years, 20, 20, or 60 minutes, or one of those shows. And I was maybe a freshman in college, and I remember watching it. My grandma was sitting next to me. I had lived at home for college. And it was an inventor that had like, hundred patents and he had sold a bunch of his inventions and his patents for millions of dollars mm -hmm. and they asked him and I if I could go back and find this guy I would love to watch this back again now knowing everything I know and they said most people have difficulty coming up with one great idea mm -hmm. you've been brilliant at coming up with hundreds of great ideas how do you do that his answer was I look for problems that mass people suffer from so or, or suffer because of and I try to solve those problems or those irritations for a mass quantity of people because if I can solve a problem for a lot of people I'm gonna have a lot of people willing to pay for my problem solver piece I was like wow that's brilliant right. I think what Shark Tank has done is it's taken people and they've started to think they're like oh I can come up with a cool idea mm -hmm. and people start to think and think and think and it's mm -hmm. gotten people comfortable with being entrepreneurs absolutely uh, well, I, and I even really love Shark Tank yeah that, even like mm -hmm. the, um, we've been trying to get, I know you tag him in almost everything, Marcus Limonis and, uh, you know, Marcus Limonis, you know, but there's so many of these cool shows where you have all these really good entrepreneurs giving advice mm -hmm. to either new entrepreneurs or ones that have tried and failed. And I really do think it's pretty cool to see, um, TV shows start to teach the general public who might not be accustomed to or in front of the world of entrepreneurship, right. the ins and outs of it. I think it's really cool. Right. I agree. Um, so quick story on Marcus. <laughs> I was very excited for about 30 seconds. Uh, two weeks ago at home and uh, sent him a tweet, which I do from time to time. And uh, I said something about we were looking. I, I, forget, I forget what date it was exactly that we were looking for a guest. And sent him the tweet, laying on the couch, da 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 da, and boom, I get a he likes the thing, and he sends me a tweet back, and he said, via I forget he said phone or more or less via telephone, 
And I said, no, it's, it's in studio or, or FaceTime. And he liked that and then never got back to it. Oh, well, we're getting closer, though. We, you are, we, are, we are, we are, we are, we are. Um, so Marcus Lamonis, else, you're going to be in here. For anybody else who uh, might be scheduled to come on board, if Marcus says he's coming on board, we might <laughs> shift you. We've been trying for 43 Yeah, uh, 43 episodes. So. No, but I love, I, A, I love his show. I love his mindset of how he approaches businesses. Trust the process. There's, there's a lot of really cool shows out there right now where um, yeah. the average person who has not been in a business environment can learn so much yeah. from people like Marcus or, um, you know, all the Shark Tank folks. And yeah. Everybody on them. They, they teach so much if you watch them. Absolutely. So was, our good buddy Lawrence was talking about the real life MBA that some business schools just don't teach. You know, a lot of times if you watch enough of this stuff, you're going to get some really good advice from people who've lived out some serious ups and downs in businesses. Yeah. And sometimes an MBA just doesn't teach you that. Not to say an MBA is useless, but... No, it, it's it's not useless. But I don't have an MBA. It, but there there are things in in life that come at you that aren't taught in school because it, they're so unique. So they can't teach everything to everybody. But it's just living your life and interacting with people, and things come out of left field at you, and you got to figure out on the fly how to. I mean, we do that in here. There's, yeah. there's been things that have come at us, and it's like, well, shit, didn't really think about Audio that. What are we gonna out. do? You Internet know, goes out. Yeah, that yeah, yeah, yeah. Shit happening here. So it's part of life. Um, I had a, another person say book recommendations. Mm-hmm. I'll go with favorite books instead of trying to do book recommendations. Okay. I got a ton of them yeah. um, my, because we ask our guests this. So since sure. this is me and John, we'll go ahead and answer this. Um, book recommendation, our favorite books. For me, Art of Racing in the Rain by mm. uh, Garth Stein. So it's not about how to learn how to race a car in the rain. It's actually a fictional story, um, fiction, nonfiction story. It's loosely apparently um about a person um but it's a cool read about a man his dog his life he does race cars and it's a really awesome story and at the end it's it's more about the man and his dog and uh it's a tearjerker at the end really anybody who's ever read it at the end is shedding tears the cool thing is they're building it into a movie and it's being Mm -hmm. filmed right now and patrick dempsey is starring in it so he's very good directing and starring in it. So Art of Racing in the Rain for just any book. Mm-hmm. And then business entrepreneur related book. Mm-hmm. I just love Extreme Ownership yeah, I by knew, John I Dillon. knew you were going to say that. I've said yeah. it a hundred times on here. I got that on, on my list too. There's a lot of ones I like. Outliers I like. I like so many of them. But Extreme Ownership is a no bullshit approach to you own what goes wrong in your businesses, yep. even if you don't think it's your fault. And I think it's a cool audio book to listen to, too, yeah. because it, the story's told by Leif and Jocko, mm-hmm. and their voices tell the story well. They have those, like, deep Yeah, that's how I voices. that's how I did it, was yeah. via Audible. It's, yeah. So it, those are my two. Very good. Okay. Um, well, I had a feeling that you were going to throw that one in there, so yeah, I, 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 I put it, I wrote it down. Uh, in case you went first. You yeah, <laughs> I figured I could get in there with it real quick. Um, so... I've read over the last, I don't know, a couple of years, the Killing series by Bill O'Reilly. I read Killing, Link, uh, Killing Lincoln, Killing Jesus, and Killing Kennedy, and uh, learned uh, just a ton of facts that can be proven as facts uh, throughout all three of those uh, different books. Like Lincoln, I had no idea the when Lincoln was shot at the theater. Back then, they had what is now considered the Secret Service. He had one person who was assigned to him to be his guard. When he was up in the box, the guy was supposed to be sitting at the base of the stairs and decided he was an alcoholic and there was a bar next door. So he left his post, went to, a, to the tavern, the bar, whatever they called it back in those days. And that's how it was so easy for... for that's uh, crazy. Yeah. I, I never knew that. I, I was I'm astounded. a political si- science major. I never knew I that. I was astounded by that and so looked into it a little bit more, of course. There's some stuff in Killing Jesus about how they used to, some of the penalties that the courts would ha- hand down that make your skin crawl as far as what, and they were some brutal people back then. Uh, there was no, oh, you're going to get, you know, six months in jail. Was, uh-uh. So there get were- your hand chopped off they, for stealing. Uh, well, there was, there was stuff like that, but there's one that comes to mind that still will stick with me because I have a mental image for some reason. If you got caught as we consider it a con man nowadays, if you were using your gift of gab to swindle people out of their money, uh, and it could be proven, uh, 
two guards would hold your mouth open and they would pour molten gold down your throat. Oh. And that was a symbol, more or less. You want the, the gold so bad, we'll give it to you, but you're using your, your tongue and your mouth to swindle people, and that's how you're going to get your gold. I mean, that's how they did Whoa. things back then. So not that I, not that I think that that's great, but so you, you, know, you, hear, you hear stuff today people complaining about, and it's like, man, back then, they didn't, they didn't mess around at all. Um, and then just for fiction stuff, I'm a big fan of James Patterson. He did okay, uh, cool. Kiss the Girls and that whole Alex Cross thing. Good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. So, what else Those you got for us? Yeah. Uh, favorite vacation spot. Cabo. Uh, no, not Cabo oh. for me. I'm although I'm going to Cabo in two and a half weeks. I mean, I love racing at Road America and Elkhart Lake, Wisconsin. It's probably my favorite place to go, only because. But I think because that's that. because it has that. Although I love the town, I love the Ostov. So yeah. Maybe there. Um, I love Mexico in general, but mm-hmm. I've been to Cancun now 10 times, Playa a few times too. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think the Yucatan's probably my favorite in Mexico, and I love Las Vegas. Yeah. And I just, it's hard to beat. I've been to Europe now, and I, I love a lot of things there, but mm-hmm. my go back to spots, yeah. the Yucatan Peninsula, because the weather's great and the, uh, the beaches are great, and the flight's three hours. Um, yeah. I'll cut Lake <laughs> right. Wisconsin because it's my memory spot to race. And it's my favorite trek. And then uh, who doesn't love yeah. Las Vegas? I mean, yeah. it's Vegas. It's Vegas. It's absolutely. And I think Vegas is great if you go with your buddies or if you go as a couple. Mm-hmm. You know, I've gone as a couple, I don't know, six or seven, eight times. And I always had so much fun there just seeing shows, doing things, yeah. great restaurants. And obviously everybody knows what happens if you go to Vegas with your buddies. Right. Um, so... Vegas is cool for me yeah. on different levels. Yeah, but, it's a different uh, it's a definitely a different experience if you go with your buddies opposed to going as part of a couple. And I'm not saying one is better than the other, but yeah, it's yeah. just a different I've had it, fun both ways. Yeah. yeah I absolutely. think people uh if if you go to Vegas, um shows that are there that I re- and I've seen virtually when I went as a couple, I mm. saw virtually everything that mm. we could see. Um absinthe is freaking amazing. It's right outside the Caesars. That's the one you told me about. Yeah, it's yeah. Like, it, I think it's better than all the Cirque du Soleil shows. It's a smaller venue, and they're doing all the stuff, and it's kind of a dirty show, but it's Cirque du Soleil. It's really mm-hmm. cool. It's a lot of fun. And then there's a mind reader, Frederick De Silva, which literally will blow your mind. I mean, really? it is. He, he's used my watch in the show. He'll at the end of the show guess everybody's number one to a hundred exactly correct, and it it will mess you up. Wow. The whole show is really, it's crazy to watch him do it. He's not allowed to gamble in Vegas, apparently. Vegas casinos have banned him from gambling. Wow. So there's something behind how he reads a mind that Vegas at least thinks is funky enough that they will not allow him to gamble in the casinos. Yeah, they can cut you off. It's not, yeah. Yeah. And it's not expensive and it's a small show because you can go spend some big bucks in Vegas to see some of the bigger shows. Yeah. So for me, those are... Those are my two favorites. Yeah, I know you mentioned the one that's outside of Caesars, Absinthe. Right? Absinthe, yeah. yeah. And, I've seen it four uh, times. The last time, the last time we were out there, uh, it was in celebration of somebody who was just turning twenty-one, and it was just it was their first time out there, and to get people to sit down and watch a show, they just wanted to go everywhere, and that's part of being your first time in Vegas. You want to see everything. Um, but yeah, as far as travel destinations go. Um, Cabo San Lucas, really, Maggie and I have been there a few times. Love it. Been there. Just she and I, another couple. It's just, it's nice because we'll stay in an all-inclusive. We were talking about this a little bit earlier. Um, but the town itself is is safe. It's safe as pretty much, you know, anywhere. Um, and it's, I like it because there's so much new stuff there, but it's built right next to some older historical, like, storefronts and so on and so forth. So it's not just, like, wiped out and all, yep. like, cosmopolitan you can get you you know and people are just friendly as could be uh, beaches are beautiful uh the arch of course can't really swim in some of the beaches you cannot that is absolutely true i'm staying at a hotel now that we can yes yeah um vegas is uh vegas is vegas is vegas i mean it's we've been there i've been there i can't even count how many times in my life but it's a different experience every time you go out there it's fun um also you know have you ever been, have you ever spent any time in La Jolla? It's just, no. it's a northern suburb of San Diego. Mm-mm. Man, it's just, it is absolutely gorgeous. And it's, it's, 
it's a little bit of everything. It's not, it's not hustle bustle by any stretch of the imagination, but you're right on, you're right on the Pacific ocean. It's got shops and restaurants and a ton of, uh, restaurants with outdoor patios right overlooking the cliffs of La Jolla. But it's also, it's not, uh, it's not like, it's not snobby. It's just friendly people who happen to live in one of the most beautiful places in the United States. So that's definitely, that's definitely on my list. La Jolla is definitely, if you haven't, next time you're in California, if you have time, shoot down the coast, spend some time in San Diego, which is awesome, I think. And then, but make sure to swing, swing through La Jolla and spend a, an afternoon or a night there. Have you ever in Cabo been to Gardenia's, the taco stand? It's like a, it's not I a don't stand. Think so. It's probably the size of twice the size of the studio. Well, but it's small and like it's almost like a garage door you go into, and it's it's the best tacos I've ever had. No kidding, Gardenia's. Yeah, okay. we're looking for a different taco place, and that place was closed, according to our cab driver, who's like, "Well, I got a better place to take you," and I'm like, "Take us." All right. And he took us to Gardenia's, and I've gone back every time I've gone there. No kidding. I love the office there. Uh, have you ate there? I so, have been. Uh, you eat on the beach in the tables? No. We, the That's good no. too. No. I, th- I believe that I was there, but we didn't Sunset eat. Mona Lisa? Did you try that in Cabo? Mm, oh, you got to go back. I do have to go back. Sunset Mona Lisa is um, further away from the arches, but apparently they have some of the most beautiful sunsets and I, I had dinner there. You want to call way ahead of time to get a good table at okay. Sunset Mona Lisa okay. so you can overlook the sunset. Food's okay. Really cool scenery. view. Yeah, it's yeah. a scenery. So yeah, I love that. I'm lucky to be going back. First time I'm not going to be at an all-inclusive in Cabo. We're staying at a uh, the Me Cabo, which is apparently not all-inclusive. Hmm. Our good buddy Sean decided that was a good pick, but... Uh, uh-huh. It's right near town. You can walk to it. Oh, that's good. And apparently, uh, the pool is lively. Pool so, is lively. That's good. We shall see. All right. Nothing wrong with that. But uh, yeah, I, that's, it. that's it for questions for me. And funny enough, that like got us to basically an hour. Yeah. And um, you know, we didn't have a lot of people questioning during the show, which is actually good for me because I was terrified of what would happen. <laughs> but we had a lot of people uh, inbox pretty yeah. good questions. Yeah. And uh, we love doing this once a quarter, just kind of catching up and doing a Mo and John show. Next Wednesday at 3 p.m., do we know who's going to be on, John? Well, next Wednesday at 3 p.m., uh, I'm going to throw up a graphic. We were going to do the, uh, the Polar Vortex show. Uh, the two people, when we had to cancel the show, oh, yes, 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 thousand below zero. Mm-hmm. Uh, the gentleman that uh, owns the Chicago Pizza Tours, uh, Said that next Wednesday was a good date for him, but then had to, he called me not right away, but pretty quickly thereafter and said, oh my goodness, I'm sorry, but I made a mistake, double booked myself, but I had already booked Melissa, or rebooked, I guess, uh, Melissa Graham from Purple Asparagus, uh, who was going to be that that second guest from that same show. Um, She is awesome. So I don't even know, to be honest with you, if I'm going to go ahead and look to have a second guest because the, the one kind the first conversation that I had with, with Melissa, um, we were on the phone, the two of us a good 40 minutes. And that was off of like two questions. And it was just, it was almost like a instant, uh, friendship or just kismet, whatever you want to call it. It was just a great conversation. So she's got purple asparagus. What it really does. I'll of course let her get into the details cause I don't know them. But they go from uh, they go into public schools um, in different neighborhoods and teach kids about different types of food and the nutritional value and bring foods that kids in their third, fourth, fifth grade haven't necessarily tried before and might be a little bit outside of what they're used to um, so that they can try stuff and learn about stuff, where stuff is grown, the nutritional value of stuff, um, and they send home like recipes that different vegetables can be used in and so on and so forth. And it's, it's public and privately funded. It's a 501c3, I believe. Um, but it's just, it, she, she can do a far better job than I in describing it, but she's a really, really interesting woman who's got a great story to tell. So yeah, cool. next, next week. I'm excited oh, for next week. Yeah, absolutely. At three o'clock. And, um, 
Before we go, really, we do appreciate the likes, the shares. Absolutely. Follow us on Facebook at AE Wheelhouse. Follow us on Instagram at AE Wheelhouse. You can watch us on YouTube. You can listen to us on Spotify, on iTunes, on Google Play, on Stitcher, or obviously on Facebook yep. as well. Uh, we really do appreciate the love as we're getting close to our one-year mark of starting this show. So we appreciate you guys. And if you have any more questions for me, text them to me. Maybe don't put them in the <laughs> comment section at this point because I won't be able to delete them in right. uh, real time. But right. uh, thank you for those of you who did actually ask questions because I got some good ones. Yeah, absolutely. Um, just to, else? Yeah, just to piggyback as far as the support we've gotten from family and friends and we've made new friends along the way and had some great uh, great people come in and, and also recommend friends of theirs who are entrepreneurs. It's sort of a, a thing that we ask people that are in the studio, hey, you are fantastic. Do you know anybody who might want to be on the show? And we've gotten turned on to some great people. Um, and if you guys know people yeah. who uh, you think would be really, a really good fit for the show, please reach out to us. Or yeah. if you are the type of person you think this show is, is right for, Sure. Share us a message. Yeah, absolutely. We're we like talking to people. So uh just I threw up the uh the graphic for our website again, aewheelhouse.com. It's got all of our content in one place, a lot of segments, a little bit about uh Mo and myself and, and so on, what we're trying to do. And part of that is raise awareness and money for different charities. Um we are starting an affiliate partner program. And some of the money that comes in through that program is going to be donated to local charities. We'll let you pick your own charity. We're, we're going to do each quarter. We're going to sign up three different charities. And then when you purchase something or a product or a service, uh, we'll let you decide what uh, charity from that list you actually want your money to go to. So we're trying to make it uh, good for everybody so that you get good products and services at a discount we're able to introduce companies to you and you to companies, but also the most important thing is we want to give some money to charity to help people out who are doing good work. So that's, that's sort of the long short of that. Yeah, no, it's perfectly <laughs> summed up. Uh, nothing else to add to that. Yeah. So that's, so we'll, uh, that's all we got for the yeah, day. Yeah? We'll see you guys next week, Wednesday at three o'clock central. In three. <laughs>